You are listening to The Mallory Report, a live radio show that ventures into the mysteries of life, as well as the hot topics of the day, either political or business. Hope every, I hope everybody's staying warm. I know that that's probably the biggest issue most of you people are facing right now, as, um, what is it, snow epox, snow again, I don't know, hits the country. I think I've seen somewhere that 65, 70% of the country has snow right now, so... For once, I feel the brotherhood with most of the country, so that's all good. So my guest tonight is Chris Van Fleek. Did I? No, I messed it up. Chris, help me out here. It's Van Vliet. You were so close. You just added a K at the end there. Well, that's probably my bad handwriting, so we're just going to um, (laughs) roll it off as that. Uh, Chris, I've read your bio several times now, and I don't know how to introduce you, so I'm just going to let you go ahead and sum it up for people. Oh, well, thanks for having me on, Jim. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. I I would say that by trade, I'm a TV host, but I'm also a podcaster, a YouTuber, and an entrepreneur. But yeah, I'm one of those people (laughs) that when I'm passionate about something, I dive all the way into it, and that becomes my thing. I don't check the depth of the water. I don't check the temperature of the water. I just dive all the way in. Well, that that, that comes with saying you're a wrestling fan, right? Because I I don't know too many wrestling fans that are kind of lukewarm on wrestling. You're either in or you're not. Well, you have to be, right? Because I think that there's so much wrestling that goes on every week that if you are just like, eh, you know, a casual fan, you're completely missing the nuances of what's going on week to week. So the funny thing about wrestling is it's kind of like that scene in Step Brothers. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Like when you learn that somebody else is a wrestling fan, you're like, oh, my God, we, we are best friends now. We are going to be inseparable. But that can turn pretty quickly, though, right? Because well, you have that wrestling brotherhood, if, if the person likes the other guy on the other side, it's over again. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely that was definitely a thing for me growing up. Like, oh, come on, I can't believe you're a you're a Shawn Michaels guy. Bret Hart's the best. Oh, you like Bret Hart. Shawn Michaels is the best. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of that. That's not why I brought you on, but I had to, I, we have to have, we just have to mix that up a little bit. Um, okay. Since we're here though, who, who is the best wrestler of all time? Not currently of all time. Of all time? Yeah. Well, I would, I mean, that's so tough, right? I think it's like, that's like picking the best ice cream flavor of all time. But I think that when you look at the grand scope of wrestling and when wrestling really started to take off, I think you would have to say it's Hulk Hogan. Because wrestling became what it was in the 80s and then carried that momentum into the 90s and then into the NWO because of Hulk Hogan. So I think it's Vince McMahon's genius with Hulk Hogan's work ethic and look and charisma all put together. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, there are other people that you agree with more personality wise, but to drive that sport, sport, I call it a sport just for all those hate messages out there. (laughs) (laughs) Right, just for the record. But I think to drive that like it did, because it took the up, and for those people listening, this is a great motion, the uphill vertical climb with my arm, like <laughs> nobody's business, and uh, made it mainstream, because it wasn't before Hulk Hogan. Yeah, and I think like you can make an argument for a lot of different people. You can make an argument for Ric Flair. You can make an argument for Bruno San Martino. You can make an argument in the 90s for Shawn Michaels or Bret Hart. If you want to make an argument later on in the 90s, Stone Cold Steve Austin or The Rock. But I think that all of those people would have to thank Hulk Hogan for bringing it, bringing wrestling to scale, like making wrestling a nationally known thing because before that it was like just this territory driven thing. So one more, I've said this twice now, one more wrestling question. But I ask this. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, the the last wrestler that kind of crossed over was John Cena, right? Am I missing sure. somebody? So who's going to well, be kind of, that ne- uh, yeah, kind of, but I think Cena has more of that commercial way out there appeal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that the three, Arguably the three biggest names you could think about in wrestling other than Hulk Hogan, the three biggest like of the current generation would be Rock, Dave Bautista, and John Cena. And the interesting thing about all three of those guys is they all kind of left wrestling behind. They kind of went, all right, I've accomplished everything I want to accomplish in wrestling. I'm going to go do this thing in Hollywood now. And all three of them are successful because they don't have one foot in wrestling and one foot in Hollywood. They kind of went, I'm done with wrestling, and I'm going to go into Hollywood 
and you know kind of go full force there to answer your question of who's next i think it might be becky lynch i think that she she has the potential to be this like huge breakout star and it'd be interesting because we haven't seen a woman really break out a female wrestler really break out so i think yeah i think we should keep an eye on becky lynch and like five-ish years, 10-ish years, I think she has the potential to be a megastar. So let, let's bring this kind of back around to what you, uh, another one of your interests, which is your YouTube and podcasting. And all. We're going to get into this a little bit deeper, but what made you start wanting to do that? And then we'll dive into that a little bit more. Well, it really it really began with my love for broadcasting. And I, when I was four years old, I had a Fisher-Price radio with a tape recorder, like, man, we're throwing it way back here, like cassette tapes. And I would pretend to be a radio show host. And that's where this whole thing began. And in high school, I had a communication studies class where we made the news. We made a news broadcast. And I just, I was always the guy who loved being in front of the camera. Turned into me being the vice president of my student council. And I did the morning announcements. I hosted the talent show and I hosted the fashion show. And I just loved performing. And when it came time to pick a college major, I was like, well, that communication studies class, that was fun. So I'll study communication studies in college, not really knowing what it would really even be about. And when I was in college, I had this epiphany, Jim, and it just like hit me in my senior year. I had, a, I had the best time at college, which, you know, a lot of people do. I lived with four of my best friends. We drank copious amounts of beer. You know, I lived the college life. And in my senior year, it just hit me one day that like, oh, my God. When we graduate at the end of this year, like that's it. It's enter the real world now, like for the rest of our lives. So it was in that exact moment that I had this epiphany and decided I didn't want to hate my job. That if I was going to have to do something for the next 40 <laughs> to 50 years of my life, which is crazy when you're 21 years old at the time, thinking about like the next 50 years of your life, I was just like, I don't want to be one of those people who can't enjoy Sunday because Monday is the next day. And I reached out to every radio station, every TV station in my college town and just basically said, I'm a communication studies major. I'm passionate about this. I love it. Just let me come in and see how it's done in the real world. And that's kind of where it began. I got a volunteer position at one TV station. I was on a street team at this radio station. And then this other, this news talk radio station said, well, we don't really take on volunteers, but how would you like a job? I'm like, <laughs> uh, Okay. Uh, how would I like to get paid to do what I just asked to do for free? Hmm. <laughs> they said it only pays $8 an hour. I'm like, well, that's $8 more than I thought I was going to make. And that's where it began in, uh, in my senior year of college. Then when I graduated, an internship turned into a job. And I've just been really, really fortunate since I graduated from college to be able to work in broadcasting my entire career. And now broadcasting as we knew it back then is is kind of dead and I was just, I kind of saw the writing on the wall that people didn't turn on the TV to get their news anymore. People didn't turn on cable to watch television. And I just kind of realized that a lot of eyeballs were going to YouTube and a lot of people were listening to podcasts more than they were listening to the radio. And I just went, well, that's exactly what I've been doing my whole career. But this is just something like that we'll have our own control over. And that's really where it all came together. Now, see, that's an interesting thing for me because I know I have this traditional belief. Now, this I know this is wrong. It's a stereotype like this to this degree. But there are so many people in traditional media fighting new media all the time. Yeah. It seems like you came on board willingly. Well, I my YouTube channel started by accident. Actually, it's crazy. It started 10 years ago this week. And it started by accident because... We were doing these interviews with, you know, some of the biggest celebrities in the world. We were doing interviews with, I was interviewing like Brad Pitt and George Clooney and Meryl Streep, Steven Spielberg, then, you know, the list goes on. When, when the interview was like over, we would do a four or five or 10 minute interview. We'd only air 30 seconds or a minute of it. And then I would think to myself, well, the rest of the interview was pretty good. Like, I think that other fans would appreciate it, but unfortunately nobody's going to see it because that's how broadcasting works. So I just started taking those raw interviews and just putting them on a random YouTube channel, honestly, just as a place where they would live, like kind of like a, an online cloud. And that's how my YouTube channel started. And then occasionally some of these interviews would draw a whole bunch of interest from, you know, fans of that movie or fans of that band or whatever. And I just kind of went, I think there's something to this. I think it's more than just like 
putting my videos there as a place for them to live. But like, I think that we can then tap into like a bunch of people who never would have seen this in the first place. And I just slowly kind of started following that path. And now my YouTube channel has 95 million views and, you know, close to 300,000 subscribers. A bunch of those views for me just trying to figure out how to say your name. Just so you know. Yeah. So that number <laughs> you're going to, you've probably seen a peak in the last few days. It was just me. So it's going to come <laughs> back down. So don't worry. You've got a tough <laughs> last name too, you know? You've got a random I in there for some reason. Uh, French. We'll blame the French for that. I'm not exactly sure uh. why, but you know, they have something to do with it, I'm sure. <laughs> no, but that, I, okay, so I, I followed you probably, I don't know, a while ago. And then I, you know, you start digging into people and I found you talking to Kevin Costner about draft day on oh, YouTube. Wow. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, cause you, you're right. You see those 45 second clips of him saying whatever, but yeah. you don't see the, the full length of that. And you know, you, obviously I know there's more because this is what I do. Yeah. Or you're hoping there's more instead of him just sitting there, but you got a real, I realized that, you know, there's a bunch of people doing those too. So each yeah. one of those is different. And I can't imagine then the other side of this comes out, right? I'm sitting here going, man, to be Kevin Costner and get asked 700 times in the same day about Cleveland. Yeah. I can't imagine trying to look interested every time. Yeah. And I was, I was working in Cleveland when that movie came out. I actually auditioned to be a reporter in draft day. So it was really cool. Like it all came full circle when I got to see that movie at an advanced screening and then got to interview Kevin Costner for that movie and Jennifer Garner for that movie. But yeah, it's that, that, that was one of the like early on interviews that I put on my YouTube channel where it was like, you know, the people in Cleveland would have cared about the 30 seconds, 20 seconds that we put on TV, but it was cool to be able to put the, uh, the, like the remaining four minutes of that interview out there for people to, to see. And thank you. Thank you for checking it out. (laughs) Well, yeah. And like I said, I I mean, I could see, I mean, I see the sound bites in it. Of course I'm horrible at doing that myself, but I see them. Of course, they're a little bit more obvious when you're talking about a film in a short, I mean, you, you, you come in with a purpose. I just come in to kind of throw stuff together for fun. Yeah. But, so take so go through that though because when you do those, you know you've got five minutes at most. So well, how are you trying to pace minutes, that? Yeah. How are you trying to pace that out? It's that's a it's a great question because I approach a podcast interview vastly different from the way I would approach a red carpet interview, and vastly different from how I would approach one of those junket interviews, which is like a four minutes like on the clock basically. And in those situations, usually like with, with that Kevin Costner example, that four minutes, like, and it's literally four minutes. That's it. Like no asking questions after your time has run out. I would usually start with like, all right, let's start with a question that I know I can guarantee if, if things went terrible and like I couldn't ask any questions after this, at least we'll have this question that we can like use on TV. So it's usually something about the film. Then I would go into like, I would, try to like ask maybe something that's like technical or something that I like genuinely was like, Oh, how did you film this part of it? Or like your character had this relationship with this other character. Like how did that come together? And then if I had like a question that I thought was a little bit more fun, I would usually save that for the end, you know, kind of feel them out. Cause if they weren't in a great mood, I wouldn't, you know, do that. Like I, uh, <laughs> I asked Gerard Butler if he would give me a movie punch and like if I had walked into the you know room and shook his hand and said, "Hey man, you you do great movie punches. Can you give me one right now?" He'd be like, uh, "I want to actually punch you in the face because that's you know ridiculous." But if you warm up to them after two, three, three and a half minutes, and then you can like kind of drop that on them, like, "Ah, oh, you know, we're we're good friends now. I, we've we've you know got to experience this time together." And then you can kind of set them up for that fun question. That's usually how I would break those those interviews down. Now I love being able to do podcast interviews now. Like you've got a half an hour, an hour, maybe more to just legitimately just have a conversation with someone. And these are actual conversations. Like what we're doing right now, this is like actually how people communicate. Those soundbite interviews, they're just, they're just not like, they're so foreign, foreign. People don't like really talk like that. Yeah. I was going to say, I sit here thinking now, again, I put myself in Kevin's shoes. I'm like, I know you've got a job to do, and you're looking for that great sound bite. Yeah. I don't know if I could answer those questions that way. Of course, I don't talk that way, but I haven't actually tried to sell stuff that way. That's kind of what they're doing, so I guess that's kind of a... It's much easier to sell when you have a film coming out, though. 
What's well, it's an understanding like he has a job to do and I've got a job to do. And I think that the best interviews in those situations are when both people understand that the other person has a job to do, you know, and they're both like kind of playing together. So what made what made you obviously you got in the podcast and is that why you wanted to do that to explore the deeper side of this? Well, I was doing these interviews mostly with pro wrestlers, bringing it right, bringing it right back around <laughs> to pro wrestling here. <laughs> but like I was doing these interviews like like that, uh, you know, those junket interviews. And then, you know, twice a year, WWE would come to town or Impact Wrestling would come to town. And it started with me going like, can I convince my boss to pay me to talk to a wrestler? <laughs> it's like, hey – you know, WWE's coming to town next month. Think we could, uh, you know, think we could have a wrestler in here? Yeah, sure. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get paid to talk to a wrestler. So we would do the, you know, the minute or so that would, the soundbite that would run on TV. And then I'm like, well, I've got this wrestler here. I just want to ask them questions that like I genuinely care about, like as a fan. So I would talk to them for 15 or 20 minutes. I would put those up on my YouTube channel. And I realized like, you know, everybody's favorite subject is themselves. And that is like doubly true when it comes to wrestlers. So if I had a wrestler and I just like kept talking to them longer, you would just get more information. So I started like actually doing these interviews for my YouTube channel that were separate from what I was doing on the news and separate from what we were doing on the TV station. And that was kind of like the genesis of the podcast, just like creating these YouTube videos. And it took me a few years to figure this out, but you know, when you have an, an interview on YouTube that's 25, 30, 45, maybe an hour long, like nobody's going to sit there on YouTube and listen to that. I mean, there are some people, but that's a long time to ask someone to have their attention on YouTube for, you know, that, that extended period of time. And I started thinking, what if I took the audio from these longer interviews and just made an, a, a, a podcast out of it and just put the audio version somewhere else and could tap into a completely different audience. And that's where my podcast started. It was really just, you know, kind of how my YouTube channel started just as a place for this to live somewhere else. So people could check it out. You're just great at repurposing content. That's all I'm hearing. I, you just keep next thing I know I he's good. If only I figured it out in the first place. Like if I had started my podcast back when like Joe Rogan started his podcast and you know, we'd all be millionaires here then. <laughs> Man. Well, that's good news for all of us. That all of us ex uh, almost said expiring. Aspiring. <laughs> that was, ooh. Uh, well, I guess we all are expiring at some point, but. Um, oh no. <laughs> True, I guess. Just brought the whole thing way down there. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's good to see money in podcasting now. Yeah, it is definitely because even the Joe Rogans of the world were doing this for years without making anything from it. So, yeah, it's exciting that whether your podcast gets just a handful of downloads or whether you're, you know, a top podcaster with hundreds of thousands or millions of downloads, everybody's able to get a little piece of that pie. And I, I'm blown away because of COVID right now and seeing people starting their podcast, which is, I, I, I get very conflicted about this. I'm going to, yeah, um, me too. Because, I, I'm with because, you on this because yeah, I, I think everybody, I mean, it's more accessible today than when you started than when I started. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's way out there. It's, it's almost too easy. I, I don't want to say too easy, but it's, I mean, I could take my phone to my kid and say, start a podcast and just not even say any more than that. And they could probably figure yeah. it out in the next 15 minutes. And, yeah. Which is good. But, there's so much right now. I, I get I get concerned that people are going to get con too consumed for a while in trying to produce content, and the people that are actually producing good content are going to lose track, and pe the people that were going out to create content are going to get burnt out on it and not come back and actually consume good content. Well, I say that the best thing about podcasting is anyone can have a podcast. And I say the worst thing about podcasting is that anybody can have a podcast. And I think that the the issue with that is that there's really no standard. And I think that's that's a good thing and a bad thing. The good thing is you're right. You can just hit recording your phone and all of a sudden you're a podcaster. But you know, the, I, I don't know the exact number, but something like 50 or 60% of all podcasts like end after one episode and then like 80% end after seven. And I understand it because you know this, Jim, there's so much work that goes into it that people don't realize. And podcasting is such a labor of love. And if you're not going into this absolutely loving 
every single part of the process from booking the guest to doing the research to actually recording it to editing it to uploading it to promoting it if you don't love every single step of that process then you should just like stop before you even get into it because it's such a labor of love you're going to put all this time and all this effort into it and your first episode's going to get you know way less downloads than you thought it was going to get and you're going to go ah oh, is this really worth it so I'm curious when we come out of COVID, whenever that happens to be, when we're, you know, when we're on the other side of this, I wonder how many of those podcasts that started in COVID are still going to be around when people's, you know, quote unquote, real life comes back. Oh, I'm going to tell you, it's going to half. I, I would, I would think so. It's basically, you know, the strong are going to survive. And it's also interesting. I mean, it's really interesting to me when you see like, yeah, you know, every celebrity has a podcast coming out like every day. Every day there's a new celebrity <laughs> podcast. What's always so fascinating to me is when those just like kind of disappear. Like, yeah, you, you know, they, there's they do no 20, a, 30. AP wire that Will, Will and William and Kate have quit doing their podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they just disappear and it's like, oh, like I guess you realized it's a lot of hard work because it really is. Yeah, and money doesn't fix your hard work. I mean, it may, no. it may bypass some of the steps for you, but you still have to sit behind the mic and do it. Yeah. And if, I mean, that's the part you need to love the most. And I think that that's what people, uh, I think that's why people get into it. Like, I think that everybody, you know, thinks that they have a voice that needs to be heard. And I, and I agree, but I think it's really important to find what that niche is. And, you know, I've all, I've often said like, you got to niche down on your niche. Like instead of just being like, yeah, me and my friends, like we drink beer and we talk <laughs> about sports like, yeah, well, like niche down like five more levels. Like what kind of beer are you drinking? Like have a, have an entire podcast about like IPAs that, that actually would work. Like, and I think that people just think too broad sometimes. Yeah. That's where I'm at right now. Think it too broad, but that's okay. I thought about the paranormal for too many years and then I kind of got burned out on that. So here we'll be <laughs> talking about other, I'll figure it out eventually. Right. <laughs> maybe, maybe you got freaked out by the paranormal. Oh, no, I, there's a lot of uh, infighting and drama in the paranormal that I just got tired of, so I said oh, enough. Geez. Oh, jeez. It's bad, man. Anyways, <laughs> not, I'm not bringing you into that. Your, your, your email will explode if I get you to say something really. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that world. I mean, from the outside looking in and watching documentaries, but I don't oh, think yeah, I well, want to get the, it. The, the topic matter is great. Yeah, The yeah. people in it who think because everybody thinks they're the top dog. Mm. and willing to throw other people under the bus to try to get there. Oh, interesting. There. It's, oh, kind of wow. like, it's kind of like wrestling, I guess. Now we're back around again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, in, I guess in a certain way, wrestling you know, really can be related to any aspect of life, really. There's good guys, there's bad guys. Yeah, yeah, there's wrestling and everything. Brian Parsons of the Paranormal News Insider is in my chat room and... Uh, we need title belts is what we need. That way yes! we know. That way we know who is the actual undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. Oh wait. But how does but how does someone become the champion in the paranormal world? Well we could sell pay per views. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> that model seems to work. <laughs> Brilliant. You're on to something here. Don't don't shoot me, Vescal Man. I mean, if he's listening, of course we got bigger problems if Vince is listening tonight. It's not, I'm not stealing any ideas or trying to infringe on any trademarks or anything else. Man, if Just Vince is listening, a... man, I, I want to interview you. Yeah, man, he would be fun. You, you're probably more the wrestling guy, and I'm the business guy. So this would we could co-host a show, and it would be phenomenal. Uh, done. I, I actually want it. So Vince McMahon is the number one person I want to interview because I'm just fascinated by Vince McMahon, the businessman. Not, I mean, Vince McMahon, the wrestling promoter, fascinating. What he's built is incredible. But I want to know, like, what makes someone like that tick? Like, what, where does their drive come from? So, Vince, if you're listening, let's make this happen. <laughs> hey, stranger things have happened, right? Like, that, that'd be very strange. So who's next on the list, though? Just to poke down, I want to see how far you get before we cross paths again. Because Vince is in my top probably ten. Okay. Yeah, I'm so, thinking like I have like Elon Musk and Mark Cuban up there a little bit higher. And I think that uh, Mark Cuban's probably attainable. Like I think that he does a lot of press. I think that one's attainable. Elon Musk would be so fascinating, like just so fascinating. 
I'd also love to talk to Joe Rogan. And and that's not just like because he's Well, you, you know, just want to go you want to go full blown nerd, right? You want to just talk podcasting the whole time. Well, I mean, sure, Joe Rogan's the top dog when it comes to podcasting, but I I am actually fascinated by Joe Rogan's passions. Like Joe Rogan's taken everything that he's passionate about and he's turned it into a job. And not just any job, he's turned it into like a very well-paying job. You know, he loves comedy. He's now, you know, a touring comedian. Well, has been a touring comedian for like 30 years. Loves MMA. He's the color commentator for UFC. Loves hosting. He's hosted several shows. Of course, he's, you know, known for Fear Factor. He's just a great conversationalist. Now he's the number one podcaster. And that's what I want to talk to him about. I want to talk to him about that idea of like chasing after the things that you're passionate about. Because so many people are passionate about something and it's just nothing more than a hobby. And for him, that hobby became like a seven and eight, nine figure job. Yeah. As I say, he uh, and all these people we're talking about, Cuban, Elon Musk, Rogan, all Vince have this. McMahon. Vince McMahon. have this. Yeah. Oh, what's the one word that comes to mind that strings them all together? Overwhelming passion. Yeah. And I think that that's the, that's the secret sauce of life is like, is having passion for what, everything you do. And then, and this comes back full circle to that epiphany that I had in my senior year of college. Like I didn't want to be one of those people. It was just like a zombie going to this job that they hated because, you know, they got two weeks vacation. The 401k was all right. Like I would rather make less money doing something that I enjoyed doing every single day than the opposite of that. So yeah, everybody. Everybody that we're going to list that would be on our list of people we want to interview all have that in common because next on my list would be Oprah, who I've talked to briefly on a red carpet, but uh, Oprah is just brilliant with everything that she's built. And, you know, she came from absolutely nothing and she's grown it into this incredible empire. So the next one of the people on my list that is probably not in yours just because, and I'm not trying to get you in trouble. So first and foremost. <laughs> Be aware, right? This is where this all goes. Just so okay. You know, is Alex Jones. Oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah. And, and not because of what he believes, sure. but because of getting the platform from Apple and all these other places. I mean, there's a lot there. And I mean, the arc up of that too, to again, coming kind of, I don't want to say coming down, but I guess it kind of is right. Right now. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, passion you know, and drive is something that he's full of. Yeah, that'd be a really interesting conversation. I don't, he wouldn't be on my top 10, but I would love to have a conversation with him because his story has been really, really fascinating, especially when you hear him. Like when you hear a full interview with him on like Joe Rogan, it's kind of clear that he's like playing this character. He's kind of, yeah, he's like playing this, he's playing up what he does on his show. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about him. Like, how much of that is show, literally show, yeah. versus what he actually believes, versus what he knows to play on the show. Yeah, how much of it is like Larry the Cable Guy? You know, like, <laughs> you know what good, I mean? He'd be a good guest too, by the way. Just he'd be a fantastic guest. But like Larry the Cable Guy is is nothing like that. But how much of Alex Jones is is like you said? How much of is that? what he actually believes and how much of it is him going, if I say this, Oh man, I'm really going to stir this, you know, stir things up. Are, are you worried about the censorship and the cancel culture and all this stuff that's going on right now? You directly. It's interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I think that the cancel culture thing is, is strange how this works now. It's like, and I get, yeah, I get that, you know, there are some terrible things that some people have said or some terrible things that some people have done, but cancel culture has turned into like the idea of just like throwing stones at someone and like, let's make sure that they can never work again or they can never show their face in public again. But I mean, don't we all have like some demons hidden and I'm not, I'm not excusing any like, you know, homophobic things or, racially insensitive things i'm not excusing anything like that but i'm saying like i think we've all made some mistakes and it's cancel culture is basically working on this idea that like if you make one mistake that's it you're done and i don't know it's a strange weird thing because there seems to be exceptions to this rule like how is mike tyson so beloved 
he's a convicted rapist. Mike, Mike Tyson is so beloved, yet if that exact same thing happened now, that person would you know, be completely done for the rest of their career. So it's interesting how some people get like a pass in this cancel culture. It is, and it's a phenomenal thing to watch. Yeah. I normally have this conversation about this, well, not in this point in the conversation, but the other point in this conversation I normally like to bring up is the fake news. And my listeners are tired of me saying this. When I first heard that, I thought I was in oral trouble because I thought, well, of course, the big news, no offense to your current station and employment, and they're a big conglomerate above them. They have the money. They have the power. Well, of course, I'm being the fake news at that point, right? My my perspective sure. on that term when I first heard it. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm just done. Of course, hit and miss. If they, you know, still kind of feel that way at times. Well, um, news has like crossed over this line and like news is no longer news. News is entertainment. And, and I think that there's a, it's a, it's a dangerous place to be walking when the news is the entertainment and the entertainment is also the news. Like I feel like they, they should be separate and they're not. Yeah. And in, in your commentary and your opinion and your slant on the news, like I don't yeah. know if there's actual news anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And I just, I mean, I think that we have a choice every day, right? We have a choice every day when we wake up, what we want to focus on. We want to focus on the good things or whether we want to focus on the bad things. And a lot of the news is really, really negative, especially when we were leading into the election. And I just chose to like not really pay that much attention to it. I'm also from Canada and can't vote. So like, (laughs) It's a it's a it's a really nice card I can pull and go. Yeah, you know what? Doesn't really. You know, I live here. It's great. I love this country, but I can't vote, so I don't know if I really, you know, I don't know if it really matters for me to have an opinion on this if I can't even cast my vote and cast my opinion in, in, at, on election day. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a good it's a good place to be for you, of course, for the rest of us. It's just so angry anymore. That's the only word I could put on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, it's different. Yeah. It's definitely different. I'm I'm curious how this is going to either evolve or devolve over the next four years and then the next four after that and, you know, so on and so on and so on. I, I hope, I hope evolve is the one we go with because devolving just, I mean, scares me sheetless. <laughs> sheetless. <laughs> <laughs> no sheets. <laughs> Okay, so back back to podcasts and YouTube and all these other things for a minute. Now, I know you've talked to a world number of people. We've kind of ran through them. Uh, I'm not going to ask you who your favorite person to talk to is because I know that's ridiculous. If you ask me, I'd sit here and stammer and stutter. But no, there... it's The Rock. It's The Rock. <laughs> but, <laughs> He's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> but is there a moment or a reality, like kind of that awestruck moment or maybe something really funny or some, I don't know, just a moment that kind of – when somebody says, when you were talking about whatever, there's always this moment that comes back to you. There's one, yeah. There's definitely one that, there's two actually. There's two that really come back to me. And one was the first time I covered the Oscars. And like, that's the mecca of entertainment. Like, that's the biggest night in entertainment. And to be able to cover that, to be able to be on that iconic red carpet and just like stand there for a minute and just take it in, that was a really, really cool moment. And then, you know, the chaos that is the Oscars red carpet unfolds after that, where they literally tape off an 18-inch wide spot that you have to stand in and you can't move from. And I get it. You know, there's hundreds of reporters. They, they can't just have people, like, walking around willy-nilly. So you've got an 18-inch spot, and then there's a riser behind you, and your cameraman has an 18-inch spot, and that's where you have to stand. So yeah, the Oscars, for sure. And another cool moment is I... After So The Rock was number one on my list. Rock was the person I wanted to interview more than anybody. Growing up as a wrestling fan, especially in the Attitude Era, The Rock meant so, so much to me. In fact, I would, I would ask people questions in my high school just so I could shout, it doesn't matter, right back at them. You know, The Rock's catchphrase. <laughs> so after I interviewed The Rock and he was great and he was everything you'd want him to be, like he's a true star. And they always say you shouldn't meet your heroes, but if your hero's Dwayne Johnson, you should absolutely meet your hero because he's great but after the rock i wanted to interview tom cruise more than anybody because he's really the last remaining movie star who can open a film based on his name alone 
And I always wanted to interview Tom Cruise, and he doesn't do a ton of interviews. And I got invited to the Mission Impossible 6 red carpet. So I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is huge. Then I found out it was in Paris. I'm like, oh, this is, wow, this just got even better. And then the red carpet was set up in the shadow of the Eiffel Tower. So there was definitely a moment on that red carpet where I walked down the red carpet. The Eiffel Tower is right there. And Tom Cruise arrives on the red carpet, and I see him interacting with the fans. He's, you know, 100 or 200 feet away from me. And it was just like, okay, like this interview with Tom Cruise is happening. And I watched him work the press line and get progressively closer, you know, reporter by reporter. First, he was 15 reporters away. Then he was 10 reporters away. And the next thing you know, like Tom Cruise is four feet away from me wrapping up the interview with the reporter next to me. And I'm like, oh, wow, I'm going to talk to a legend. And yeah, it was a great, great conversation at the end of it. I'm like, do you mind if we took a photo? Oh, of course. Yeah, I'd love to. So I have a photo that I, I love where it's me and Tom Cruise on a red carpet and the Eiffel Tower is behind us. So that was that was a really, really cool moment. I don't know how we're going to be able to top that. I was going to say, I don't know how you top that. I, I sit here because normally, <laughs> you know, there's always this, oh, you could do. And I don't know what that is. I don't know. I mean, maybe I go skydiving with Tom Cruise or something. Like, <laughs> I think that's the only thing that we could possibly do that would top that. I don't know if he's jumping out at many planes these days. I don't know. Don't you think? Like, Tom Cruise is one of those guys that wants to do everything. That's true. He does all his own stunts. It's like, oh, man, it's mind-blowing. Well, so I, I see in the buyer that you're a film critic. Is that some, somewhat accurate? Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a member of the Broadcast Film Critics Association. I've voted on the Critics' Choice Awards for the last eight years. So, yeah, I, I'm the guy that when uh, when it comes towards the end of the year, I get all the screeners sent to me. So, if Jim, if there's anything you want to see this year, just come by my place. I will <laughs> guarantee to have a DVD screener of it. I couldn't, I couldn't name... No, this is going to get me in trouble. I am so bad at pop culture and movies that I could, I, I'm bad. That's all there is. I mean, there's no other way you to could put name, it. You could name a few of the like Oscar contenders from last year. You know, you like <laughs> Tenant. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure you saw or know about the Christopher Nolan film Tenant. Uh, no. Re- what? Come on. I, I seriously, man. I live. Okay. First, I live in Western Pennsylvania. Don't have cable. So they don't, I don't have watch... movie theaters there. Well, <laughs> well, not COVID. I, I haven't been to the, the well, my malls sure. are horrendous Fair to start enough. with. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I don't, I, what's, when was the last time I was in the mall? Uh, well, when well, was the last time anyone was in a mall? Uh, I, I, <laughs> actually, I do take that back. I was in the mall a couple weeks ago to have, I had to go to Joanne Fabrics for my wife. Oh. So, so, but for my purposes, <laughs> <laughs> for my purposes, that in the theater's at the other end. So I have no, no idea. So I'm, I'm movie and literate. Well, you know who Christopher Nolan is, whether you've heard of Tenet or not. I do. I, I know the name. Yeah. Okay. Now, if I mean, you're going to ask me to tell you a few things about him, we're going to have some problems, but I know the name. He's, I think he's the greatest director working right now. I mean, Memento and The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises and Inception and Interstellar and The Prestige, Dunkirk, Tenet. I mean, I think I, 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 think I missed out on a few there. Batman Begins. Man, what a, what a great director. Well, see, I, I know a couple of those movies. They're all Batman movies. Well, three of them were Batman movies, well, yeah. Okay. Well, well, half of them were Batman movies. Okay. <laughs> but, okay. like, Inception and Interstellar are just, like, mind-blowing. Just, oh, I don't even know. They're just incredible. Okay, okay. so, Mr. Hollywood, while I have you here for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to say this with a straight face, but can we get some new Uh-oh. ideas? Once in a oh, while. How dare you? <laughs> how dare you? I just I just listed off the most original films ever. I know, <laughs> but, I, but I'm talking about the Batman series. Yeah. It just seems to all the sequels and prequels of like yeah. yes, yeah, I agree. Like let's reboot this thing that was popular 20 years ago. I get it. Okay, I but just if we're gonna re- I, but but I, on Twitter today, if we're going to reboot something, it's the 25th anniversary of Happy Gilmore. So time. Did, did you see that video that Adam Sandler posted today? And the one that uh, the guy that played Shooter posted. Yes. Oh, I love it. See, I, I'm, the fact that Adam Sandler can still do that golf swing is, I mean, he crushed it. That was so impressive. As a golfer myself, I'm impressed that he was able to do it ever. 
<laughs> yeah. There's I mean, so much look, timing that goes into that. After that movie came out, I, of course, played hockey growing up in Canada. After that movie came out, me and all my friends would do that at the driving range until they'd be like, hey, stop doing that. That's bad. You're going to hurt somebody. But it, it was it, that is not an easy swing to pull off. No, it's definitely not. It's 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 harder than a baseball swing. Oh yeah, there's so much there's so much more timing. You're like kind of crow hopping into it, and then you oh yeah, that's so hard. Well, I'm gonna go out and limit. I'm gonna say it. Probably the hardest thing to do in sports. Ooh, Oof. I know. I don't. I, to... I don't know. I think hitting a fastball might be harder. Yeah, it depends on who's throwing it. I guess. Well, hitting a major league, you know, like 90, high 90s fastball, I, that might be the hardest thing in sports. You're probably right. But it's got to be up there, though. This is and everyone just... listening is like, no, like this thing in tennis <laughs> is harder. No, this thing in football is harder. And agreed, yeah. Hitting it, like trying to throw a like a pass in the pocket while you have like large 300-pound men running at you, that's probably really hard, too. Yeah. Is, is Florida really excited about Tom Brady or are we just kind of overplaying that everywhere else? <laughs> It's like he's I mean, that big down there, or is it just kind of everybody saying, "Oh, he's huge down there." The funny, the funny thing about sports in Florida is that Florida doesn't really care about sports until the team like wins it all. Be, I mean, look at look at Tampa Bay baseball. Look at the Rays. Like they can barely get you know five thousand fans in there, and then the team wins. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, I always go I to Rays games. Yeah. So I think that if Tom Brady went and had a mediocre, you know, eight and eight season, I think they wouldn't care. But I think it's the fact that he went in and just crushed it, you know, wins his seventh Super Bowl, I think solidifies himself, cements himself as the goat. I think that they go, yeah, 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 he's our guy. (laughs) Well, is it, I mean, is Florida more passive about everything though? Because of well, like, the mix mix of cultures from everybody from around the, the country, it's the mix of cultures for sure. But it's also the fact that it's eighty degrees and sunny, and you're like you know a few miles from a beach all the time. So I, I think it's like, yeah, I mean, we could go sit in this stadium and in that sweltering heat, or we could just go out on someone's boat and drink some beers. Yeah, let's just go do that. I think that that's what it is. I think that there's just there's too many options, and there's a direct correlation. And look, I lived in Cleveland for five years. There's a direct correlation <laughs> between how cold the weather is and how passionate you are about your sports team. Because think about it. Buffalo, Green Bay, Detroit, Boston, Cleveland, Cincinnati, the list goes on. And then when you go into the, you know, like, are they really that passionate about, you know, their hockey team in Phoenix? <laughs> are they, I've, been to, I've been to enough Dolphins games to know that no one really cares about the Dolphins there until they start winning. Whoever fought Phoenix was a good place for a hockey team, or Tampa, Great or question. Miami. <laughs> Great, and the, the, they're not even in Miami. They're in Sunrise, Florida. They're like in a, like a little suburb. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Well, this is the Redskins thing, right? Because they don't actually play. Oh, excuse me, the football team. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't see. That's how often I talk sports on here. Uh, <laughs> they're they're from Maryland. Shout out yeah. to Maryland, of course, uh, but it's it's funny. I, uh, well, I think it's I think it's funnier that not only do the Jets and the Giants share a stadium, they don't even share a stadium in the state in which they represent. <laughs> like that one, that one blows my mind. You'd think one of those would have to give credit to New Jersey, right? Just because <laughs> you'd think so, you'd, or or you think they could have just built a stadium in I don't know Brooklyn or something. I don't know or Buffalo. Oh wait, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, like Albany or something. But the fact that they like play in a different state, I've never understood that. That's got to be the weirdest sports relationship with its town. It must be. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> I just. I'm still blown away by putting hockey in Phoenix. I'm, I... <laughs> and Wayne Gretzky was their head coach when they started there. <laughs> I'm like, you know, well, you know what we need? Stanley Cup Finals in July in Phoenix. Brilliant. Yeah. Nail, nothing nailed, says, nailed that down. <laughs> nothing says hockey <laughs> like like Arizona in the summer. How much air conditioning can we get? Because we're going to need <laughs> a bunch. <laughs> That's the thing I've learned about you know about spending time in Florida is that. You have to dress for the indoors. Like you're so you're so used to everywhere else. Like, oh man, it's like, you know, it's it's seventy five degrees outside. I'll wear shorts. 
And in Florida, you'll wear your shorts and then you'll be freezing because everything's overly air conditioned. Which blows my mind when I hear overly air conditioned. Oh, it's wild. It's the, <laughs> it's the weirdest thing to like <laughs> to leave a restaurant at night and it's hotter like outside than it was where you just came from. Like that's a, such a wild thing. I'll never get used to that. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal to think about. So, <laughs> so okay, so you've been doing the YouTube thing, kind of spun off to the podcast. So where's this all going for you? I mean, you've got the the original job, which I'm sure you're trying to keep going as well. How does that? Where's the where's the the digital media side of you going? My my passion is still in TV hosting, and I think that even if I dabble in podcasting and dabble in YouTube, I think that there's still something to be said about like having that line on your resume or having that line in your bio where it's like this person hosts, you know, this show on this channel that you've heard of or the station that you've heard of. And I think that like bring it back to Joe Rogan, like if he was just the podcasting guy when he started out, I don't know if that would have worked as much as him going, oh yeah, he hosted Fear Factor for all those years or he was on news radio. And I think it's important to have like that cornerstone. So I still very much want to like host a TV show that I'm like super, super passionate about. And that's, uh, that's, that's what it is for me. That's what I'm driving after because we're living in a world now where you like, actually you started the interview with this. You can't be defined by just one thing anymore. You're a radio host and a TV host and you're a YouTuber and you're a podcaster and you're an entrepreneur. I, like I have a, I also have a bass fishing company. I'm super passionate about bass fishing, so I started a bass fishing brand. <laughs> I have that on my notes. I just hadn't figured out how to weave that in because we've kind of been. <laughs> well, there we go. You've kind of you you knew what you were doing here. Um, okay, so I'm gonna have to. You're gonna have to build a bridge for me here because I've got all okay. these entertainment and wrestling and yeah. media things, and I've got bass fishing over here on the other hand, and yeah. I, I'm trying to draw the connection, but I'm falling a little short. And I'm I'm super aware of how juxtaposed these two <laughs> worlds are. Like, <laughs> but I've always just really loved bass fishing. Ever since I was four years old, I caught my first fish. I caught a rock bass, and I was no, no. Part of the yeah, this is a real fish for those people out here who have no idea. Yeah, of course, way. a rock. Just bass. continue, continue. I'm sorry, I had to clear it up for the record. <laughs> got a rock. I, no. I uh, pardon the pun. I was hooked. And I started fishing in my first bass fishing tournament when I was 14, and then. Every summer where I grew up in Ontario, Canada, I was fishing in bass fishing tournaments. And that was a really big part of my identity. Like while I was also playing like baseball at the highest level when I was 15, 16, 17, I was also like bringing a fishing rod to the fishing or to the baseball tournaments. And I would like fish in between games. Like I was that passionate about it. So my tournament fishing partner and I saw a possibility. Like we saw a hole in the market. And we were like, I think we could like create a product that would fill that hole. So when you're fishing with a plastic worm or a plastic bait of any sort, you need a weight to sink it down to the bottom. And for years it was lead, but lead's like terrible for the environment. It's also like a big bulky weight. And the alternative is tungsten. So we started a, a company called Woo Tungsten, W-O-O exclamation mark tungsten, Woo Tungsten, where we sell tungsten fishing weights. And we've had this for five years now, and it's been a really fun thing growing that and also growing everything else because I've learned so much from you know, being the co-owner of an outdoors brand that has been able to be like paralleled in other aspects of my life. So it's been, it's been really fun. And again, if you're passionate about something, this comes back to the Elon Musk, Joe Rogan, Oprah conversation. If you're passionate about something like – there is a possibility now in this wild world that we live in with a supercomputer in our pocket where we can earn money from it. So easy follow-up question. Where do people go to get the woo? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's yeah. that easy. I figured it was, but I, I kind of totally lost my train of thought when you, I just kept seeing Ric Flair in my head and it just wasn't working. It's uh, also the thing that you yell when you catch a giant fish. Like when you catch a big fish, you're freaking out. You've worked all day, all week, sometimes all year or your whole life for that fish. Woo! Yeah! The other <laughs> cool thing, Jim, about woo is it's so contagious. Woo! You just yeah, feel like you want to echo it back. Woo! That's what I'm saying. That's why I got the picture of Rick Flair in my head and my mind just went, Bleh. that wasn't where woo! I was. 
Okay, so now, serious question about fishing, though, because we're here. I mean, okay. you grew up in Canada, you lived in Cleveland for a while, you're now yep. down in that South Florida area. Uh, obviously, very different types of fishing along the way. Go ahead, give me a little bit about this, because I'm interested, because I don't <laughs> get out much. Well, in so for anybody that's ever been to Ontario, if you go about an hour north of Toronto, you've got a string of lakes there called the Kawartha Lakes. So in the summers, the summers are beautiful in Canada. So in the summers, that's where I would fish. That's where I did all my tournaments. When I moved to Cleveland, I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to be fishing for a while. And then I went, oh, but wait, Lake Erie is right there. And Lake Erie is one of the greatest smallmouth bass fisheries in the world. So that's actually where I bought my first bass boat because up to that point, I was just like, riding with my friends or fishing out of their boats but i was like no i want to do this so i bought i bought a skeeter and that was my first bass boat and man lake erie is scary lake erie is like going out on the ocean like that is a scary lake sometimes but it's well worth it because it's some incredible fishing and then when i moved to florida I, i don't really do much saltwater fishing i don't really do anything really in the ocean but i was like lake okeechobee is I didn't realize this when I accepted the job in Miami. I'm like, Lake Okeechobee is like an hour and a half from where I'm going to be living. And Lake Okeechobee is arguably the best bass fishing lake in the world. Like a lot of people will, man, this is, I'm going off on way too much of a tangent here, but the, no, that's the what point I is to do kind of give me some of this, <laughs> the serious lake, stuff that I don't know. Lake Okeechobee is one of those lakes that like, people will take like a week long vacation to in the hopes that they'll catch the fish of a lifetime because a 10 pound bass is the fish of a lifetime, which I've never caught a 10 pound bass. I've caught a nine pound largemouth bass. I've never caught a 10 pounder, but there's all kinds of 10 pounders that live in Lake Okeechobee. So people will like take week long vacations there like every year in the hopes that they'll catch these giant bass. And that's right in my backyard. It's an hour, hour and a half away. So yeah, it's been a really cool thing. Although the funny thing about owning a bass fishing brand is the more time you spend on the water means the less time you're growing the business. So there's been <laughs> since we started the company, there's been this like yeah, it's kind of it's kind of gone upside down where I'm spending more time working on the business and less time actually catching the fish, which now that I say that out loud sounds ridiculous. So I think I need to like I need to correct this. We need you to need correct to get, this. You need to get out there and uh, put some Instagram posts together using the product. I think is what we're. I'm going to encourage yeah, you to do. Right. Yes. It's it's all a write off, right? Well, it's got to be at this point. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's, it's a literally a business trip. So, dumb question: Have you ever been ice fishing? Of course. Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't ice fish a ton, but yeah. Well, I mean, well, I mean, now you might have to if this, this weather keeps up. You might have to break out a shanty and. <laughs> ice fishing like the thing about fishing that's great is you can like move from spot to spot to spot like if you're not catching them here maybe maybe we go a little shallower maybe we go a little deeper with ice fishing you're for the most part like i'm not that hardcore i don't have like an auger and a snowmobile but for the most part like you're in that hut in the middle of the lake hoping that there's some fish near you so it's fun it's just not the same type of fishing that's more of like you know enjoying the time with the people that you're with yeah, I was going to say, because I was, when I was a kid, probably five, six, we're out in this lake, they just put the big hole in it, and then there's this other we're a group of people, right? And they're building a fire inside this little shanty thing, and I'm like, we're on a lake with a fire. <laughs> oh, no! Wow. Yeah, I never, never kind of agreed to go back on that. I mean, there was no problems that first day, but it's just kind of always kind of felt weird. Of course, they had this like metal thing that was up off the ice, but still, okay. I mean, it kept it warm in there. So you know what's happening when yeah. it's warm in there, right? Well, the yeah. ice is melting. <laughs> well, eventually, right? Like, I guess if it's thick enough, it doesn't matter. But it's still, I don't, I don't like ice that much. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look, I don't like ice or snow anymore, which is why I'm thankful to live in a place where there's palm trees. I was gonna say, if if you have to worry about ice fishing. I'm probably having 70-degree weather, so I, I really can't be concerned. <laughs> the funny thing in Florida is, like, their definition of cold, and I put cold in massive air quotes, <laughs> cold in Florida is that you can't wear the same clothes indoors that you can outdoors. Like, oh, man, had to put a hoodie on this morning. Really cold. When you left Cleveland, did you just leave all your clothes there and just bought new stuff <laughs> and go to Florida? Or? 
<laughs> I like I, I definitely like there were a few winter jackets I just gave to my buddy. I'm like, yeah, I won't be needing these anymore. He's like, really? I'm like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> um, okay, so oh, I haven't done this yet, which is the other thing that I really need to do for you. Uh, where can people find the well, YouTube podcasts, everything else that you do? Oh, so it's just Chris Van Vliet, V-A-N-V-L-I-E-T. And that's on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. My podcast is called Insight with Chris Van Vliet. So wherever you listen to this, I'm sure you can go and find it. Yeah. And if you can't, look harder. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, well, you, you probably did this at one time, right? Where you tried to read all those apps and then it got to be like you were reading the phone book. Oh, geez. Yeah. No, no. You never I, did that? I I think when we all started, we're like, yeah, you can find it on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and then you just keep listening them off. You're like, you just yeah, wherever you're listening, wherever you listen. And I had a realization like a few times after I did that, like you can listen to us on. And I'm like, you know, it hit me like a ton of bricks. <laughs> if you are already listening to me, yeah. this list of things doesn't really matter to you because you're also, already listening. <laughs> I also looked at like the numbers, and I was like, whether you have an iPhone or not. Apple Podcasts is the number one place where most people listen to podcasts. It's just that's just the way it is. Those are the numbers. So I was like, why am I listing off like all these other ones when like less than one percent of the audience is listening on those platforms? Yeah, shout out to the person listening to me on Spotify. Right, like I can see seventy <laughs> percent of people are listening on Apple Podcasts, but shout out to the three people on Castbox, <laughs> and shout out to everyone that's listening on Podbean. And overcast, like great, and it's awesome that those exist, and that's really cool. But I understand that most people are listening <laughs> on Apple Podcasts. I, I, I'm just appreciative that you're actually saying Apple Podcasts because I refer to it as iTunes. So, oh well, we can get in our time machines and go back in time, and <laughs> we can call it that if you'd like. <laughs> that's that's the worst part of this, right? Like that's that's probably that's been the biggest switch though of all these brands and all this other stuff. Like, and it's the one that yeah. I mess up. Yeah, I guess you you could still you can still listen to it on iTunes, can't you? No, they've moved us to our own little app. That's right. Well, as they should, as they should. Yeah, we we can't be you know intermixing with their music. Of course, now the funny thing is they they split them right, and now Spotify and Pandora and everybody else is like, let's merge them together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> oh, so. Tell, tell me about doing the TV show. I guess we got a, a minute, minute and a half left, but I, I haven't talked about TV at all. And I kind of am fascinated by that. How does like, so what's your normal day? Like when you're doing that? I mean, it's get into the TV station and kind of figure out what's on tap for that day. But the, the cool thing is no two days are the same, which is why I love what I do. And sometimes it's interviewing a celebrity. Sometimes it's literally swimming with alligators. Like I did a segment where I was in the Everglades, like swimming with alligators. And sometimes it's like reviewing a movie. So that's the cool thing. And I think, you know, I've hit on this a few times, but I think the most important thing is find something that you love, find something that you're passionate about, and then try to figure out a way like to make money around that. And I feel like incredibly grateful every single day that I'm able to do something that's like fun and active and different every day. And like I start and end every day with gratitude. And how could I not be grateful for a job that I enjoy having great health and having an awesome family? Well, Chris, Hey, I'm going to end it right there and say, thank you so much for putting up with trying to get this all together. It's been fun. It's well, that's the nature of the beast though, right? Yeah, thank so, you so much for having me on, Jim. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you, and uh, we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Absolutely. Have a good night. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode Ooh. of The Mal Report. Stay tuned for details on saving money at the Duck Pond Shop. I hope you enjoyed this report. Please subscribe so that you can join us again. And if you appreciate the show, leave us some stars or a review. For more notes from this show or other great shows, check out Mallard.com. A reminder, the views and opinions of the show are those of the host and guests and do not represent any sponsors, affiliates, or any other partners of the Mallard Report. Now for your money-saving tip. Promo code Mallard at checkout of DuckPondShop.com. 
where you can get your t-shirt, coffee mug, and other great products. That's promo code Mallard at checkout, duckpawnshop.com. Until next week, stay safe and keep quacking. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.